This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the short on time. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, how are you? How has your week been? How have you been? Oh, you know, I'm still on my seven day stretch. I'm halfway through, so I'm trucking along. It's going to be it's going to be OK. I'm almost done. How are you doing pretty good? Uh, I'm there with you. It's a. Uh, been a little bit of a long week. We had a, a family member pass away. So uh was at the visitation today and then had the funeral tomorrow. So, um, you know, a lot going on, but we are making it and getting through. And I'm happy to be here with you and record this episode. And I'm actually super excited to go through this week's episode because I want to know, number one, if you've ever heard of this case before. And I'm really interested to see what your thoughts are on the outcome, because as I was researching, I was like, this is absolutely crazy. This is an insane story. So I'm really, really excited. Well, as you were saying that, I was reading through the first lines of the notes, and I don't think I know this unless something changes, but I don't think I do. But it makes me excited to hear it. Yeah, I am really pumped on it. I will be upfront. It is not super long. I jumped into it because it was just a really interesting story. Actually, Jay and our Facebook group had mentioned this case a long time ago and there's a documentary about this that now that I've researched a little bit, I absolutely have to watch this documentary, but I, you know, knew a little bit about it. And when I really dived into the details, I was like, man, this is going to be a good one to cover. I think there's going to be some good conversations we go through. So I'm, I'm really excited to break it down. Well, we want to just get started and dive in. Yeah. Let's jump on into it. This week, we are heading to Skidmore, Missouri in the summer of 1981. On July 10th, gunshots rang out in the middle of the day in front of dozens of witnesses, but not a single resident of the town called an ambulance or the police. And when authorities did arrive, all of the witnesses said the same thing. I didn't see a thing. 
The victim would later be identified as Ken Rex McElroy. McElroy was born in 1934. His parents were sharecroppers who would go on to have a total of 16 children, with McElroy being the second to last. His parents did the best that they could, but with so many children, they had their hands full. As a young child, McElroy took a fall off of the family's hay wagon. He would suffer a severe head injury and would have a steel plate implanted into his head. McElroy was illiterate, and he dropped out of school in the eighth grade. And as he grew older, he became more intimidating. He stood over six feet tall and weighed nearly 300 pounds. He had cold, steel-blue eyes that would burn a hole in those that caught his stare. Additionally, McElroy would eventually turn to a life of crime, starting with petty offenses like raccoon hunting and stealing livestock. He was a womanizer who enjoyed the drink, and his crimes would only continue to escalate. He would be charged with harassing women, destroying property, and threatening people's lives. In fact, his lawyer recalled McElroy being charged with an average of three felonies per year. However, he was never convicted for any of these charges, and McElroy began to believe that the law did not apply to him. During his lifetime, the criminal would father 10 children of his own with multiple women, some of whom were very young. In 1971, McElroy became obsessed with Trina McLeod. At the time, she was 12 years old. McElroy would follow Trina's school bus route. He would pull up next to the bus, honking his horn so that the driver could clearly see that it was him. Then, he would force the driver to open the door and let Trina out. The girl definitely had no choice in the matter, and the bus driver believed that he was protecting the other children by complying. Trina would exit the bus and climb into the man's pickup truck. And within two years, she would become pregnant with McElroy's child. Now, during a routine doctor's visit, it was determined that the young girl was experiencing domestic abuse. Because she was a minor, McElroy was also on the hook for molestation charges. But being an expert at skirting the law, he devised a plan to avoid being charged with anything at all. If he and Trina were to get married, she wouldn't be able to implicate him in any crimes, and he wouldn't be charged for any information the teenager had previously shared. Now, at the time of his relationship with Trina, McElroy was actually married to his third wife, so he promptly divorced the woman and married the girl. Trina would move into the home with McElroy and his ex-wife, and she would deliver a baby boy shortly after. Now, concerned for her child's safety, she attempted to escape, fleeing McElroy's home and seeking refuge with her parents, but it didn't take long for McElroy to track her down and force her to return and he wouldn't stop there. He later came back to the McLeod home. He would proceed to shoot the family dog and then go on to set the family's home on fire. Then, in 1976, McElroy shot a farmer named Romaine Henry in the stomach with a shotgun. Luckily, Henry survived, and McElroy was charged with assault with intent to kill. However, McElroy managed to produce two witnesses who claimed that they were all hunting together at the time of the shooting. Again, the town bully avoided conviction. Now, the residents of Skidmore lived in fear of Ken Rex McElroy. He seemed to be immune to punishment and took joy in terrorizing the townsfolk. And in 1980, McElroy was involved in yet another shooting. So before I go on with the rest of the story, where's your head at now, Olivia? What are you thinking? Okay, so my first question is, is 
When she's 12, how old is McElroy? So McElroy was born in 1934 and she was 12 in 1971. So I believe that makes him 35 when she's 12. And by the time she has the baby, he's 37 because it was two years later that she got pregnant. Okay. And then my second question is, is it talks about how after they got married, first off, who legally marries a 30 something year old and a 12 year old? And why would not anybody think it's suspicious that suspicious that a 12 year old is pregnant with a grown man's baby? But then it talks about how she um, would try to go seek refuge with her parents. Where were her parents when she got married as a 12 year old and ended up pregnant? Well, he became obsessed with her when she was 12 and she was pregnant at 14. Now I know in a lot of States, especially in the South back in the day, you could get married at like 15 or if your parents gave you, I think still today in a lot of places and even in the United States, if your parents sign off, you can marry, I think technically at any age, which is real weird. Not okay. Right. (laughs) Real okay. This is just weird. And I don't understand how this man is getting away with so many things in this town. Well, from what I understand, when I was going through the research, he just could do whatever he wanted. Nothing seemed to stick to him. Yeah, I don't understand that. And he was huge. He had big, like, mutton chop sideburns. You know, he's over six feet tall. He's 300. Yeah, he's he's like a linebacker. Yeah. And, I mean, a temper on him and things like that. You know, like I said, he'd shot the family dog and burned the family's house down because he was like, no, she's not coming and, back. And nothing came of that. That's just crazy to me. Yeah. And then shoots the farmer. We got to keep going, though. I need to know how this ends and what's happening. Yeah, because if you think that's where it's crazy, it definitely takes another turn. So, Okay, well, let's keep going. All right, well, back to this case in the additional shooting. Ernest Bo Bowenkamp was a local grocery store owner. The 70-year-old man reportedly caught one of McElroy's children stealing candy from his store. Bowen Camp's wife, Lois, tried to smooth things over by stating that the whole situation was nothing but a misunderstanding. But Ken McElroy wasn't having it, and he began to terrorize the elderly couple. He would randomly fire a gun outside of their shop, and Lois became so concerned that she began sleeping at different friends' homes to make sure that she was safe. One day in July of 1980, Bo was standing on his loading dock waiting for a repairman to arrive, and it was then that Ken McElroy appeared and fired a shotgun at Camp, striking him in the neck. Again, Camp would survive, and McElroy was arrested, charged, and convicted for the shooting. But shockingly, he was released pending an appeal, and once free, he continued to terrorize the Camps. At this point, the townspeople knew that something had to be done about Ken McElroy. The residents of Skidmore petitioned the governor, the attorney general, and the state's legislators, but none of them would defend the town's residents. And on July 10th, 1981, several of the townspeople held a meeting at a local Legion Hall. The citizens were concerned that McElroy would come after the witnesses of the Bowen Camp shooting, and they shared those concerns with the sheriff of the town. 
However, the sheriff advised that they not approach Bowen Camp and let the trial process play out. And once the townspeople realized that the sheriff would be no help, they realized there was only one option. Someone had to become a vigilante. Now, at the same time that this meeting was being held, Ken McElroy and Trina McLeod arrived at the local bar, the D&G Tavern. And in his typical fashion, McElroy branded an M1 rifle with a bayonet mounted under the barrel. He and Trina sat at the bar having a morning drink. It was then that he was confronted by the members of the town's meeting. And after some time, McElroy got up from his chair and walked out of the bar. The town mob proceeded to follow him. McElroy then sat in his pickup truck with Trina drinking from a six-pack of beer. It was then that the shots rang out. And just a few minutes later, Ken McElroy was dead. Now, at the shooting, there were roughly 46 witnesses present at the tavern. And no one except for Trina said a word. An investigation would eventually occur, and authorities would find shells from both a 22 caliber magnum and an 8mm Mauser. This showed that there was two shooters responsible for McElroy's murder. Ballistics determined that one shooter was behind the truck while the other was about a half of a block in front of it. And after being struck, Ken McElroy bled out behind the wheel. Now, Trina McLeod would be the sole witness to speak, and she implicated a man named Del Clement. However, no charges would ever be filed. Further investigations would continue, including the involvement of the FBI. But until this very day, no one in the town of Skidmore has been named the shooter. Decades after the incident, retired Missouri Highway Patrol trooper Richard Stratton said that he understood why the townspeople felt that they had no other options, saying, quote, those were fathers and grandfathers on the street in Skidmore that day, ordinary, hardworking people, and they did what they did because we didn't do our job. They went home and kept their mouth shut and kept them closed all these years. But McElroy's former attorney, Richard McFadden, had a different perspective. He said, I know why they don't talk about it. They were all glad he was dead. That town got away with murder. So, Olivia, that is this week's case. I know it's not a super long one, but it is super interesting. What are you thinking? Walk me through where you're at. Johnny boy, this one is so bizarre. I don't understand. Where did you find this case? I don't, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I was kind of blown away to think that an entire mob swarmed him and for literal decades because you know there's that saying like the only way three people can keep a secret is if two are dead right so to think Mm -hmm. that an entire town a whole town 46 witnesses yeah we're just like didn't see nothing dude i don't know who it was but i mean he did so many crimes and i don't understand how he never got convicted of any of them and I, you know, I agree with that cop when he said, or yeah, was it the the police officer that said, yeah, I get it. I understand. We didn't do our job. The guy was obviously guilty of all these other crimes. So you know what? I applaud Skidmore. Yeah. You know, it's hard to hate on it. You know what I mean? Because they did everything that they could think to do. You know, you go to the sheriff, you write the governor, you're like this one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, He's terrorizing the entire town, murdering people, impregnating young children at the age of 12 when he's a grown man. Like, he's obviously a villain. 
Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, like at this point, like 71, he was 35. So he's, you know, 45, 46 years old at this point. So he's had a whole life of terrorizing people, getting you away know, with, getting away with murder. Like I know your mom owned an antique shop, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can yeah. you imagine if there was just some dude who had beef with her, who would just roll up to the shop and just start firing rounds into the air? It'd be yeah. terrifying. You yeah, know? I mean, the grocery store owners, I mean, it's just like he was terrorizing the entire town. They had no choice. Yeah. And, you know, I think kind of like what I was talking about when you do so many terrible things and, you know, it just seems like nothing sticks to you. There's no consequence for it. You get emboldened and you're like, mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want and I can be. Because nobody's going to stop me. Yeah. I mean, he was just a drunk who liked to hurt people and make people miserable, you know? So, you know, I'm kind of with you where it's like, I can't fault I the don't town. Fault them. Mm-mm. Not at all. They did what they had to do to protect their families and themselves. Right. And I mean, Bo Bowencamp was shot in the middle of the day. You know, like that's your neighbor, you know, Skidmore from all the research I was looking at. It's not like it's a huge town. You know, it's not like Kansas City, Missouri. It's, you know. Right, right. I've played a lot of shows in small towns in Missouri. Shout out anybody who's listening in Kirksville. We've been there a few times, but like, (laughs) you know, I remember being there and being like, so like, what do you guys like do for fun? Like, what's the craziest thing that has ever happened? They drive the back roads. Oh, one of the kids, I swear to God, said. Oh, plane crashed here once. It was on national news. <laughs> like that was like their <laughs> that was like their claim to fame. Their claim to fame. That's yeah. hilarious. So it's you know there's not a lot going on. So if this dude lives in you know a couple blocks, you're probably terrified. You know. Heck yeah! I mean, he's not a small guy either. Like he's intimidating on top of his aggression and anger and abuse and I don't even know all the other names you want to say, but yeah, I can't blame him. Yeah. And, you know, this is a little bit different for us because normally it's very clean cut with our stories where right. it's like this person did it. And as I was going through and doing the research, I was like, man, you know, we don't normally do these. But then in my head, I was like, the town did it. The town like, did it. The, the entire yeah. town did it. They held. They rallied it. together and had a meeting in at City Hall and they did it. Yeah. And it also feels like something that would have happened in like the old West. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the dates, you're like, oh, this story took place in like the 1800s. And you're like, no. right, right, right. Okay, I get it. 1981, you know. It was a Western shootout. There was synthesizer music, all sorts of stuff, you know, like Flock of Seagulls were probably playing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like disco had happened, and then there's just this little town that's like, shoot him in the street. He shot Bo. You know what I mean? It's real weird. I do wonder who did it, though. I know. And, you know, the you other think thing. think we'll ever know? I I don't know. And like I said, I haven't watched a documentary, so I don't know if there's anything. Yeah, where's this documentary? So Do I need to resort to Jay on the Facebook group or what? No, actually, it's called No One Saw Thing. And if you have uh, if you have I Paramount. Like I just saw that. Yeah, if you have Paramount Plus with the Showtime add-on, I believe it's on Showtime. Do you have that? Because I don't. I do. But, you know, we don't share have, passwords. It's illegal. Wink. I have Paramount Plus. <laughs> winky, winky, winky. But. Yeah, it's uh from I don't know if they go into, you know, any implications or anything like that. But in all the articles that I read, it was like, yeah, no, nobody said anything, you know, and to think a whole town because, I mean, this was 81. It's now 2024. There's a good chance whoever did this is no longer with us. Possibly, so, yeah. 
It could yeah. have even been a local law enforcement person. I mean, you have no idea who it was. It could have been no idea. someone's grandma. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it could have just been somebody. Like who's Granny, like, listen, you're almost done here. Just, just take out McElroy. I got my my Mauser pistol. I'm ready to <laughs> ready to let it rip. But if we're talking deadbolt tests, right? And I think this is going to be a little bit of an interesting conversation as well. But if we're talking deadbolt test. Where does something like this fall on your scale? Because Obviously, I'm not afraid of an entire town coming to get me, but really, in this case, I think I'm more scared of the victim. So I'm kind of interested to see where this falls for you. Yeah, I'm going to I've just had the number seven in my head. I'm going to put it at a seven. It's kind of terrifying. You know. The amount of crime that happens and the shootings that happen in New Orleans, like it's a wrong place at the wrong time. So. I only imagine what it would feel like to be almost bullied in your everyday. Like if you just go to the local, they probably have like one gas station, one grocery store. So it's not like there's an unlikely probability that you won't run into him, but you will see this person. And to just know that you're always just kind of walking on eggshells, that's kind of how I feel like this town might have felt where anytime they saw him or anything they could have said or done or made the wrong eye contact or the wrong face could have just thrown him over the edge. So I think it's kind of terrifying and I'm putting it at a seven. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to put this at a seven as well. I think we're coming in, you know, right about the same, same page. And you know, the reason for me is that this is the kind of guy who would go to a bar to drink and bring a rifle with a bayonet on the bottom. Like he's ready to either shoot or stab someone. You know what I mean? Okay. I didn't know what a bayonet was, but I wasn't going to ask the question. Cause I didn't want my listeners to be like, is she special? No. Well, I mean, do we need to revisit the whole supine issue? Everybody's like, Oh, poor John. <laughs> no, but a bayonet's like the sword that goes on the bottom. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like things like George Washington kind of thing, you know? Yeah. 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 But I mean, this guy is at a bar drinking with this you know what i mean so he's ready to shoot someone he's ready to stab someone and then when we talk about check the locks right like it's obvious that this dude feels like he can do whatever he wants so that entire town needed to check their locks yeah for sure because you never know like he could just walk in and when you're you know six foot whatever and 300 pounds you know there's a reason that lois bowen camp's wife was staying at like different friends house was rotating and, you know, it's because she didn't know if this dude was going to show up, you know, she was terrified. Yeah. And rightfully so. And, you know, it's just one of those stories of a of a bully, you know, and a town just clapping back and being like, nope, not not anymore. You know what I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of like crazy. Enough is enough. Like enough is enough. We're done here. This was wild. Not our typical kind of episode, but I liked it. Yeah. Now I have to watch this documentary. It also made me wonder if something like this could happen today or if there is so much like forensic no, evidence, ballistics yeah. evidence, you know, it'd be on a, a ring camera or, you know what I mean? Something like that somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. Like people, other people would investigate, but I also don't think if it was this day and age that he would have gotten off scot-free with all these other things that he did either. Yeah. Yeah really felt like it was just kind of like that old West vibe where the sheriff mm -hmm. would show up and be like, now, Ken, you know, you can't be doing these things. Like, right. Right. You know? Here's your slap on the wrist. Don't do it again. Right. Well, I know your great granddaddy. So. Yeah. 
Act right, kid. Yeah. You know, it's, I used to work your dad's farm back in the, you know what I mean? Something, yeah, something like yeah. that, but well, that's what's going. Yeah. It's, it was really, really interesting. And that's where we fall in the deadbolt test. Olivia and I are both given this a seven, but as always, we want to know where does the murder of Ken McElroy, the bully of Skidmore fall on your deadbolt test. You can let us know, reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod, find us on Twitter, at check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you, get to spend some time with you. And again, speaking of the Facebook group, shout out to Jay and the Facebook group for putting this on my radar. Cause you know, I'd never would have looked it up or connected it. So really appreciate this suggestion, Olivia. I don't want our listeners to turn on us like the town did on McElroy. I think we should read a five-star review. Stay in their good graces. What do you think? Yeah, John, this week's five-star review comes from Robin Bird 10. And they said, I like this flavor of podcast. I listen to this one regularly. Hosts have good chemistry and conversation without excessive yakking. Stories are interesting and suspenseful. Definitely recommend it. Thank you, John and Olivia. Best, Robin from San Francisco. So thank you, Robin from San Francisco or Robin Bird 10. Let us know who you are so we can send you some cool stuff. Yes, Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review and letting us know what you think of the show and and those kind words. You know, we say it every week, but these reviews, they really do help us. They get us into other shows recommendations. They help new listeners find the show and really they help us to grow our community. So again, Robin, thank you for taking the time. If you're anyone who has left us a review, we really do appreciate it. And we would love to get you some stuff out, Robin. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Again, you can find us on Twitter, Check the Locks. Or if you're in our Facebook group, reach out, send us a message, let us know where to send it. And if you are not a social person, totally fine. Head over to CheckTheLocksPod.com. Click the email button. Drop us a line. Let us know where to get those goodies out, and we will send them out to you. And Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? They need to go to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll down to where you see all five purple stars, and click them all and leave us a little bit of love. That's right. And Olivia says it best so that I don't have to. Apple Podcasts, click those stars, leave the review. And if you need a cheat code to help you level up, Go into the description of the episode that you're listening to now. There's a little link. Click it. Leave those reviews. Let us know what you think so Olivia can read your review. And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Get signed up today. We got a lot of great tiers, exclusive benefits, T-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, all things you can only get for being a patron. Plus, you get the episodes ad-free. So if you love Check the Locks, but you hate commercials, Patreon is the way to go. So again, if you like what we do, you want to help us keep the lights on, that is patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Get signed up today. And as always, if you can't financially support the show, we definitely understand just listening and hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if that is you, you're listening to the show, you're sharing what we do with your friends, your family, the people who are important to you, just know that we appreciate that more than we could ever tell you. Again, our goal is to grow our community, to bring in as many listeners as we can, and you sharing the show helps us do that in incredible ways. So again, if that is you, thank you so much. We appreciate you so much. That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. 
We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Have a good one. Be a good neighbor. Don't get your town mad. Stay farming there. (laughs) 